What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com on the contrary show. Dave Locker and Halafi underscore D back with you again, once again. Well, I should say with Alex Baker, awesome himself, number one ranked DFS player. Let's get this one out of the way first before we introduce our guest. Uh, uh, Alex, what's good, brother? What's up? Uh, yeah, last night's game. Oh my God, that was crazy. <laughs> I, I saw Rinpak, if Mark Andrews got a little bit more at the very end, he would have took a, a million solo. So I was really hoping he, he could pull it off. But man, that game was such a, uh, a dud. There was a with three minutes left in the game. The lineup that was winning was Miami defense captain solo Millie <laughs> against Lamar, Marquise Brown, and Mark Andrews. And it was ship Robert Hunt's play, though, was the best in that game. I'm sure you saw it. So, oh, yeah, that, it was at the offensive lineman that almost yeah. scored. <laughs> that would have been so sick because, uh, like, you can't even pick him in DFS. No, but you knew he knew he was ineligible, but he's like, I'll never get this opportunity again. Fuck it, I'm going. Anyway, we got a guest with us today that many of you may know by the name of Chess is Okay, James Gettinger. And uh, I got a lot to talk about today with James. Hey, James, how you doing, man? Good. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. And today's show will be a little bit different um, because, James, Recently, you retired from the game of DFS, but you are now coaching DFS at Medify.gg and doing a lot of other things in the space. So talk to me about, first of all, before we even get into this, and this will be more of a free-flowing thing today, and we'll get into the slate as well, so, so stick with us. Um, what was it that had you change course out of the gate after the success you were having at the DFS level? Yeah, so... The reason I quit DFS is because of Alex and some of the content that he's created, um, which has made the game a lot harder. Um, and, oh, man, you don't, you don't have to butter me up here. Yeah. Like, that's not really why you quit. <laughs> well, it kind of became a, a question of like where I want to spend my time and how I can just maximize what I'm making. And it seemed like... For a while in DFS, I was doubling or tripling what I was making every year um, until I kind of reached a high water mark. And then I was really, really working hard to try to tread water. Uh, and that wasn't a great feeling. Um, and it kind of got to the point for me where it's just like, uh, how much longer am I going to be able to make, uh, make really good money doing this, be compensated enough for the effort that I'm going to put in? Because whether or not you're um winning heaps or uh trying to tread water it's still taking like 80 hours a week plus um for me to do everything i felt like i needed to do to compete at the high stakes so um the calculus just stopped making as much sense well you um, you, you had a legendary season where you you won a million maker and then you won the final if i remember correctly so i mean you really like raked it in it's probably mm -hmm. hard, like, because, like, obviously, no matter how good you are, you can't do that every season. So was that kind of part of it? Um, yeah, but, I, I mean, 20, 2018 was a great year, too, for me. Um, and then 2019, 2020 were, like, slight step downs. And that's kind of, for me, what it felt like the trend was. And it started being, like, in 2015, 2016, when I would figure out something strategically that other people weren't doing, it felt like it would take a couple of years for people to kind of figure it out and catch up. And then 
as the years went on, it started to seem like when I figured new things out strategically, it would be like a couple of months until Alex and Chipotle Addict were doing it. Uh Um, And probably like six months until just it would trickle down to like the weaker regs. Um, And that's just like a a really horrible feeling because you're putting in a lot of work to try to figure out novel uh, strategy items and you're probably only gaining like three to six months with an advantage of them. James, uh, let me ask you something. Did you say you were putting in 80 hours a week for DFS? <laughs> and and what is 80, like, what does 80 hours look like? Because that, did you sleep? Yeah, you have okay. to sleep to play your best and exercise. So not everyone is like Alex, who's getting drunk on Saturday night. Some of us are preparing. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that Alex I is just host drunk shows. On Saturday I can get night. drunk on Thursday nights too. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it just takes a lot of preparation. I mean, I would, I was, I had a computer driven software driven process, but I was like the API glue holding everything together. So uh, if you want to be accurate with, especially in NFL and NBA where the computer is just not going to be good enough doing projections because everything is a unique situation and the computer just isn't going to be able to tell that like, oh, Giannis, the coaching decisions are really fluid. Situations are fluid. Uh, the computer is not going to tell the difference between a Milwaukee game that Giannis sat and a M- Milwaukee game that Giannis played in, for instance. Um, like the samples are just too small. And so a lot of human judgment and intuition goes into your projections. And so for NBA and NFL, I, I mean, I would go over every spot by hand. Um, starting with like my own baseline. And I think that's really an important thing to be doing if you think, if you want to compete at the high stakes. Well, James, let me ask you a question here. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a lot of your edge that you came up with was like based on like your expertise in coding and software. Mm -hmm. And like, I know some of the guys uh, that are kind of, uh, winning big recently, like whistles go woo is a good example where he's like, I'm going to outsource the projections to, to other people because like the projections available in the industry are pretty good right now. So, uh, like, I feel like from what you're saying, you'll, you try to find an edge in every single area and not try to limit it to like maybe one core expertise. The, The projections are pretty good. If you think that like, how well can you do just looking at back, looking at logs and trying to predict based using a computer model. Like the problem is, is that everyone does basically the same thing, which is like, I'll, I subscribe to four sites. I take the aggregate of them or some weighted average. And then I like make slight modifications to that. And then I do some sort of optimizer on this is like the weak rag strategy. And <laughs> I mean, sure. You can break even or win at 5% doing that. But the projections overall are just are just a bad place to start. Like if the R squared on them is like 0.6, you'd be much better off with your own novel projections at like 0.55 R squared, just so you're as a baseline doing something different than everyone else. Because everyone's doing the same arbitrary thing. And guess what? It's what's the six-day moving average. You know, it's it's what's been happening in the logs. And honestly, like I think that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay, but bad and arbitrary because, as I said, you're, I mean, it's just like there are just so many times when the historicals don't reflect what the situation is tonight. And, and the field's really poor on picking that up. So, 
Well, I think that's how a lot of people watching probably approach it is trying <laughs> to no, no, trying to combine their qualitative analysis with the data. And yeah. that's kind of what we recommend is you look at the data that helps you kind of like get the process and then you apply your own like intuition on top of that to really strengthen it up. So it sounds like you did that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So what are the best players then now, James, who are having, you know, sustainable success at the DFS level? What are they doing differently than people who've done? I understand that's a, that's a, that's a very wide, difficult question to ask. But if you could hone in on something, what is it that's so much different? Is it time? Is it their approach? Is it they're just smarter than other people? No, everyone's smart. Um, <laughs> that's, that's highly debatable. <laughs> I, I know some dumb people, James. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but they're probably not winning at DFS. No, um, no. Oh, oh, you're saying all of the you're saying all of the winning people at DFS are smart. Yeah, of course, sure. Yeah, I mean, the question is like, what are you doing that other people aren't doing? It's not necessarily like a number of hours. It's just a lot of a lot of people don't do things because it's because they're annoying or they're a pain in the ass. So there are just like a lot of opportunities. Well, James- at, at least in my opinion. Well, let me tell you my experience from poker because that's my yeah. background. I know you play it as well. Like yep. in poker, like all the regular players were around the same skill level from my perspective. And it really like the the way the ecosystem worked is you had these guys basically donating to to all the guys that they're sitting with. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think DFS to some extent is is similar to the poker model, although like there's a much wider range of of skill levels where like a lot of the guys throwing in a few lamps, I was seeing a lot of podcasts and are actually like pretty well informed, which is what you're saying is they're they're actually like pretty well versed on the slate. I do think you got guys that don't listen to anything. They just kind of go and like pick guys like pretty much based on who's been like having good results recently, like and, mm-hmm. and who's got the best matchups and all that. So, I mean, I think like, I don't necessarily want to assume that uh, you have to be like so much smarter than everyone else uh, to turn a profit. Uh, I don't know. Like, do you think that you really do have to be that far ahead of the field? I, I do. I think that I think what you're saying is somewhat accurate in poker, but still in poker, there would be one guy at the table who is probably winning beyond what the other regs thought was possible to win in the game. And I think that's really what's going on in DFS where there are, there are a lot of losing players and then there are a lot of, there's some break even players and there's some slightly winning players. And then there are one or two guys who are basically taking money out of the game. And so the way I think about it is you want to be one of the guys taking the money out rather than one of the guys breaking even. And I've been both. So that's the gist of it. Basically like there, there have been times in my career when other people have gotten a little better than me at the high stakes GPPs. And I mean, I know that I was the break even player and there are times when it's just like, I'm winning all the time, you know, so I'm, I'm sure you've probably had, I don't know. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I think the, the high stakes GPPs are a lot tougher because there's a lot less like casual money. Like I found, like yeah. I did a lot of uh, analysis on the, the player pools on some of the pro videos on the site. And I found that actually the softest GPPs are those big $15 ones, like even softer oh, you don't than say. like micro stakes and stuff. So like, I mean, like from my experience, like you can, you can make like a ridiculous ROI on those large field tournaments, something like north of 20%. If you're a really good player, 
And then like the percentage drops a ton, like as you go up in stakes, but I mean, I still play them cause I want to compete with the best and I'm not as worried about the, the risk, but uh, I think like uh, uh, the best approach, like if you're just a normal player is you, you enter these large field tournaments, you, mm-hmm. you put in like a, a solid lineup that makes sense and you can, you can earn a pretty decent ROI like just mm-hmm. because the field is pretty soft. I mean, it's, it, there's if, a lot of variance. So. That's, that's, uh, I think people overestimate the variance, but I mean, it's kind of a silly criteria to talk about just because ROI and variance are correlated. Like the higher your ROI is basically the higher variance has to be. Um, so I don't think it's a good goal to, to lower variance necessarily, but, um, if you're, if you can't beat the $15 massive one for more than 20%, you're, you're certainly a loser in the high stakes. So what I think are the people- that go ahead. Jane. Yeah. I mean, I think 20% is reasonable for, for, a for, a to aspire to, to get to, but I would caution on moving up in stakes if you're only beating them at 20%. Yeah, but I mean, if you're if you're beating like the fifteen dollar tournament at twenty percent, you you could throw in three k on a couple of different sites. Twenty percent of yeah six k, that's like a thousand dollars a day. So yeah. I mean, that's like mid six figures making two, over a year. Now you're two hundred fifty k. Yeah, so that's <laughs> so a, that's, I mean, like that's, that's good. pretty good in my opinion. And that's what I recommend people do, like a lot, because I, I think people just a lot of people approach DFS like, Oh, instead of doing that, I'm going to put a couple into the wildcat where I'm losing. And that's like the the worst thing you could possibly do, you know, because the, the higher stakes you go, the more likely you are to be a loser. In it. And then you're putting in a lot because of the nature of it. Like you're putting in a lot of what you're betting that night in a game you're losing in. So and if, that's if, just horrible. If, if you're coaching right now, James over at Medify, what is it that, that you're telling people to help them avoid the treading water that you described earlier. Well, I think I understand for a lot you have to pay for this, but I think you understand where I'm going. Yeah. I think that what I called treading water is what people are, where people are aspiring to get who are coming up in the game. Um, and just, it was a little less exciting to me once I had kind of reached the top and I didn't have the same kind of inspiration to, gotcha. to try to, to try to move up the ranks and reach the high stakes when that, honestly just means less money today than it did five years ago, like a lot less, uh, in my opinion. What is it that people who come to you looking for lessons, because I know they're not particularly cheap. Uh, and, 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 and listen, I mean, to, to look to win money and, and to, to be successful and, and, and understand the process of the game that you didn't understand before could be invaluable to a lot of people. So I get that entirely. What is it without giving away everything that people come to you and they're struggling with the most? Are there the most common mistakes that you see that obviously it's not a light switch where you flick a light switch and now they're better, right? And now they're just mm-hmm. good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process, especially when you're starting from, from so far behind other people who have been doing this for so long uh, and have really advanced metho- methodologies. But what do you say like to people or what would you say is the biggest, uh, the biggest weakness that so many people you've coached have so a lot of different kind of players it depends on the kind of player um but i think that the most common mistake i get is a little philosophical it's like assuming that 
because the players are smart and write some software that they're going to beat the field and that other people aren't doing the same thing. Um, I think that's generically one of the, one of the bigger mistakes I run into where it's kind of, like I said before, assume everyone's smart, assume everyone's looking at the exact same data you're looking at. What can you do that's going to cause you to behave in a way that's different from everyone else? And I think that a lot of people don't approach it that way. Um, Sometimes it's out of defensiveness. Sometimes it's out of like just, naivety um but i think it's kind of it can be eye-opening to people where it's like oh there are probably a hundred to a thousand people who are like break-even regs who are doing exactly what i'm doing so if i am if if there's nothing differentiated about my process i'm going to be a, a break-even to slightly winning wreck like that's just the way it is um and then helping people come up with ways that they can be differentiated and things that they can do differently i think it can i mean it just moves that it's it's the difference between breaking even and like taking the money out of the game in some cases well i think dfs is is not rocket science you know like you can only make a lineup that's so good like i mean the the cap on how good your lineup can be is is pretty low because everyone's working with the same salary cap and the, the, the roster choices. So, I mean, like part of why we started awesome.com is because like we, if you're just an average guy, you don't have enough time, like 80 hours a week to like make your own projections and project ownership and, and run simulations and stuff, but yeah. you can have the same stuff that we're looking at and make the same like conclusions from that. So like basically we're, we're trying to save you that 60 hours a week. So now you only have to like build some lineups. So I, I think we do a pretty good job, but I, I definitely think that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get an edge in today's game. Now let's talk. Uh, I mean, like one thing, like you're making money when other people make mistakes. So let's talk about maybe one topic and you can kind of shed some insight here where I think like, there's, there's a lot of different strategies people use in NFL DFS with stacking. Like, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of decision points that go into like picking your stack and then figuring out the number of players to put in and, and whether to do a run back. So how do you approach like just picking what you think is the best stack of the day? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I want to comment on what you said earlier which is that there's only so much better that a roster can be. If you're like a break-even reg, it probably means that you're playing a handful of rosters that are very good, that are winning at like more than 100% ROI, maybe like 25, 10 to 25. And then you're probably playing up to half of your rosters that are losing. And that's going to, that's kind of the dynamic in the 150 you're choosing to play. And so like for that player, it doesn't, it often doesn't take many adjustments to cut down on the number of losing rosters they're playing and try to play more rosters like the ones that are winning at over 100% ROI. So, like, yes, how much better can your rosters be? Actually, a lot. And, I mean, I, I, I was pretty, pretty good at times, and, I mean, I would still be playing losing rosters, like, plenty, you know, in my roster sets. Because um, it's hard. It's hard when you play 150 to make sure all of them are good. Um, but then you asked about stacking. Do you have any? Do you do you have any specific questions yourself, Alex? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because I, I can I can help improve your game. <laughs> well, I think uh, one thing I've noticed is that the run back has kind of reached an equilibrium point where like everyone knows that there is a correlation with the other team doing well in your quarterback's passing performance, but that's also tied to a lot of ownership 
combined yeah. like on that particular combination of players. So like this week you have Buffalo playing New York Jets. So Josh Allen's not going to put up 40 passing attempts or more if New York doesn't do at least something. So like the problem is every lineup with with Josh Allen is probably going to have Corey Davis this week or or Jameson Crowder or, or Michael Carter. So yeah. like that's a lot of things you need to go right. And then you still have to beat all the other people with that combination of players. So I think it becomes really interesting. And then there's also the question of how many players you want to stack with your quarterback. So what's your take on, on the run back and the size of your stack? Well, I think you just gave your viewers the answer, basically, which is that you you want to put yourself in a position philosophically where your roster has its like 95th percentile outcome and you're unambiguously winning. You don't want to have situations where you're hitting that 95th percentile and now you have to win a thousand flips against the rest of the field. So if you're stacking in exactly the same way that everyone else is stacking, that that's just not going to be a winning strategy. And you can basically stack any quarterback on the slate in a way that's profitable. It's a matter of figuring out how, how profitable it is. So to me, the way I would think about it is like where I wanted to devote my time to, because if Josh Allen is the super chalk, then it's going to be very difficult to make winning rosters using him. I mean, it can be done. So, I mean, I I might just say like, I don't want to play Josh Allen this week, for instance, just because like, it's going to take too much of my time trying to make sure that those rosters are winning. Whereas there are other quarterbacks that I know that like 80% of or 90% of the universe of rosters I would play with that quarterback stack are winning. Um, In terms of stacking, I think that, yeah, you need to stack, you need to play towards open game stays. You need to have correlation in your favor and you need to um, do things that differentiate you from the field as well. So that could be playing a, Josh Allen stacks with a, with a player who's like very low owned, for instance. Um, yeah. And uh, if everyone's, if everyone's playing the full game stack, it just becomes bad. Basically. Like there are a lot of situations where it becomes bad to do that. It's a pretty complex topic back in the day. I think I was maybe the first person to start doing this. I don't know if Alex thinks otherwise, but back in like 2017, no one was playing the game stack. So it was a really good opportunity but I mean, honestly, I think your your rosters ROI is going to be more elastic to whether those individual players are by themselves good plays rather than like the gains from correlation. Have people gone overboard with stacks now, James, in your opinion, in the sense that like there are people who won't play. There are people who play 150 and won't play a lineup that doesn't have at least a quarterback two receiver with a run back. You know, you've seen this. It's almost become like a like a religion in the NFL world among a lot of, you know, analysts and shows and, and things that you see where they're saying, you know, okay, if you're playing tournaments, you got to stack this. Maybe you could do a skinny stack with Lamar or Jalen Hurts in a, in a, in a, with a rushing quarterback, but you got to have a run back. Even if the team has a fucking 15 point implied total on the other side of it, there's still this mentality among so many people that you have to do it a certain way. Do you think we've taken it? Do you think the pendulum has swung too far in the stacking direction? Um, n- no, but like the quarterback with his wide, like quarterback wide receiver one's like 0.6 correlation and wide receiver two is like 0.5 or 0.45. Like it's very high correlation with the quarterback in his own team, but the quarterback and the opposing wide receivers, the correlation is not that high. 
So if everyone's doing that and it and it's an upward pressure again, it it, it depends on how good a play the the opponent wide receivers are individually. Because if this is upward pressure on their ownership, and then it's the the two by two, three by three player ownerships as well, where like you, you can't just think about like the ownership product of your roster or whatever. You have to think about uh, as you go down the path, like how many combos are still with you as you pick these players in the stack. Um, so it just, I don't know. You don't gain so like playing, playing guys on the opponent team. Um, I, I, I can't give any specific advice, but there are a lot of situations where it's not doing you any favors and it's turning winning rosters into losing rosters. Yeah. So I think to uh, find out more, you can go to, go to metify.gg <laughs> and so now, now hopefully I've sold Alex on a, on a session. Speaking of top stacks as well, you got the NFL top stack show coming up. Strategy show with Gundacker and Greg Ehrenberg at 1230. So just about uh, an hour from now, that'll be happening. So be sure to check that out. 1230 Eastern time. You got the NHL strategy show at two. The Awesome Fantasy Football show at two o'clock on the other channel. Awesome Fantasy Football. If you're, liking the, if you're looking to get those season-long rosters set for today, heading into Sunday. Maybe you got Lamar Jackson or you're just coming off a rough day following some heavy exposure to that Baltimore team. Well, we got you covered across the board. <laughs> yeah, I think that helps to, uh, to look at some actual games and we can figure out how these concepts apply. So one that I'm kind of keying in on this week is Pittsburgh versus Detroit. Uh, because I, I always like picking Ben Roethlisberger because the thing I like about Big Ben, you mentioned that the quarterback wide receiver one is like 0.6 correlation, but with Big Ben, he rushes like 0% of the time. So mm-hmm. like all the money you're putting into him is going to pay off as a uh, wide receiver or tight end production. You have two pretty good options this week uh, with Deontay Johnson and then Pat, Pat Fryermuth that, that have been having pretty good. Uh, Pat Fryermuth kind of had a breakout game last week. And then Claypool is kind of a big question mark uh, where he might be more on the doubtful side. So you, you got some good options here. Detroit, really bad defense, but not great on offense. But I'm kind of seeing this game like, man, if Detroit can do anything here, Pittsburgh could have a huge game with the stack. What do you guys think? I think that Detroit, Detroit's offense might be underestimated because they have Eric Decker or uh, Taylor Decker coming back at tackle as moving around their O line, so everyone's back in, in the their appropriate positions. Um, so if they can if they can give a couple extra seconds to the quarterback, that's going to be a situation where he can succeed. So uh, it seems like a good spot to me as well. Luffy, what are you, what are you thinking about this Pittsburgh Detroit game? I'm, I'm not sure if I'm being a homer because, you know, Detroit's my team, but yeah, I think Detroit's awful, quite frankly, <laughs> but, I, but I don't think, but, but I also see nearly 10 points being a tens a lot. 10 points is a lot, especially when you have garbage time. I mean, I don't necessarily see him keeping him competitive. And if you want to compare it to last week with, with, uh, with Justin Fields, I suppose you could, but Fields actually looked good for the first time all season was connecting on the deep ball. Uh, and the run game was actually somewhat decent. So 
I, also, you're down Chase Claypool. You're down Juju Smith-Schuster. Like you said, Fryermuth's awesome, though, Alex. This guy, I mean, he's the he's the new sheriff in town at the tight end position. <laughs> Ebron's time is done. Uh, but I, I was wondering, too, I asked this question to all of our guests, uh, James, those who have been playing a long time. When it comes to stacking, we talk about the quarterback stacks, and you, you're talking about obvious correlation. Um, what do you think about like a lineup where you were to go? Cause, cause Claypool's out, Juju's out They're They're, they're really hamstrung at the wide receiver position, uh, really pass catchers in general. And you have two guys that have such an insanely high share of touches on this team and Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson. Do you ever make lineups where you'd have like a Deontay Johnson and a Najee Harris without Ben Roethlisberger in it? Yeah, probably. Um, but I think we're talking about the wrong side of the ball here. Alex, who's the quarterback for Detroit? <laughs> Jared Goff. But uh... See, Jared Goff, now that sounds like the play. Based on, <laughs> based on the way you guys are talking, I think you're, we're talking about a quarterback who's in a position to have his season best game, um, who's going to be under 1% ownership. So that's, <laughs> I'm going to, if, if I were still playing DFS, I think I would take it down with Goff here. Is this All because official... of an offensive lineman? <laughs> um, I think that I'm just thinking about a situation where the offense is probably underestimated and you're going to get a quarterback at almost no ownership so that when he does hit the kind of game, people aren't kind of like arbitrarily think that he can't play. Cause I mean, we, we, we remember golf as a guy who can throw like four touchdown games, you know? Um, so does he do that once every 20 games? I mean, that's, that's the thing too. Like when you're thinking about what you're playing for, for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to conceptualize it because you're talking about the kind of games players are going to have more than once every season. Or like it's if you're if you're talking about like 95th plus percentile performance for a roster, it's a game better than the best game a player is going to have on average on the season, you know. So it's a season's only 16 games. We're talking about like one in 20 or more. Um, 17. So yeah, now. that's. Yeah, 17. There you go. So I think that uh, often when you think about it that way, you realize that no matter what the perceptions are about a quarterback, they're in a position like what's their best one in what's their best game ever in every one and a half seasons. You might come to the realization that like a lot of things can happen in football and that I want to play these very unpopular quarterbacks. Well, I think the problem with Detroit is that they run the ball more than your typical team, which hasn't really shown because they've lost every single game so far, but in our neutral game scripts adjusted rate, they're at 45% rushing. So if Detroit does have a big game, it's kind of probable that they do it on the ground as much as through the air. And I don't love the individual receivers pricing this week. So Mm -hmm. That becomes a situation where you're throwing in like three guys into your lineup that that might not be good plays. Although DeAndre Swift, uh, he he does look like a, a good play this week. Uh, Jamal Williams ought to be back, but he has put up a ton of production receiving the ball, and that really boosts his projection. Uh, so I think that he might be my go-to guy on Detroit, where if Detroit can actually get up to a lead, he could have a huge day and kind of be under the radar, but uh, I have Yeah, two. you have to figure out a way to, to stack the team without giving up too much in, in median case. Yeah, yeah, you want some chance to, to cash because a lot of your, your money payouts come from those, but 
Lafi, what uh, what games are you looking at this week? I mean, I think the the Buffalo one is the, is one of the most interesting because they got outright embarrassed by the Jacksonville Jaguars last week, but it's still one of the best offenses, highly efficient offenses in the league with some of the best weapons. I don't know, Alex, the one that stands out to me that like, if we're talking about just lower owned plays, I don't ever feel good about it, but I mean, shit, if we're talking about touching Jared Goff, I, then I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll touch on, I'll touch on Trevor Lawrence as well. He hasn't played particularly well. He's dealing with an injury, but 23 of the 25 touchdowns that the Colts have allowed this season have been through the air. So the, really they're the, one of the biggest pass funnel defenses in the league that probably doesn't get touched on as much as it does when you're talking about like the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that that's pretty interesting. I think, yeah, you're saying that two, only two rushing touchdowns allowed by the Colts. So. Yeah, 23 to two, 92% through. <laughs> that's, that's pretty number. insane. Uh I mean, like with Jacksonville, I think you got three options for stacking it up too. Like Dan Arnold, kind of underrated at tight end, and then Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault. But uh, J- Jamal Agnew has been having big games, but his price has come up too. I don't know which which guys are you looking at to stack with with Lawrence. Yeah, you're right. Jones, I think, is actually really compelling because I know in our in our boom bust tool, he doesn't have the particularly highest but boom rating. Our top stack tool doesn't love this team either, but Jones still has a 23% target share. Like he's still the number one receiving option. He's still the number one red zone option. Uh, And James Robinson might not play, which might just force them to throw even more. So, so yeah, I think spots like that, and they'll talk about it on the top stack. So I know the show is a little bit different than you guys are used to. Um, But Alex, do you have anything else you wanted to ask James before we wrap this one up? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, maybe just kind of like looking at the slate this week, like what would be your, your go-to way to tackle this one? I know you mentioned Detroit, but <laughs> uh, like, do you, do you usually like pick a game that, that you like and kind of go with that as a starting point or what would be your, your, your starting point? I kind of, I would kind of like to do my projection first and then see where things lied just in terms of, um, before I start considering like ownership and strategy and where I really wanted to focus my time, just see like, kind of like what was winning the most, what were the best plays um, as a percentage. And yeah, I think that like back in the day, it used to be a really good strategy to pick like the game that was the third or fourth most total and then play a lot of people from that game basically, because uh, the chalk would generally be pretty concentrated and like, the, the highest uh, one or two games with total, but now it seems like a lot of people have caught on to that. So I think you really got to go like uh, playing people like golf and really going digging, digging deep to find um, players who, who have the opportunity to succeed and are going to be very low ownership. So it's again, thinking about like what your opponent's process is, like what the average regs doing and thinking about like how you can do things that are different than them and differentiate yourself. One game that's kind of standing out to me this week is Seattle and Green Bay, where, like, on both sides, first of all, you got Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers coming back for, for different reasons. But uh, this one's really interesting to me because you got, like, every stud player in this game is really expensive, where you got Lockett, Metcalf for Seattle and Wilson. On Green Bay, you have Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams as kind of 
the the high price studs. So like the ownership on this game is looking like it could be pretty low, but it's also really hard to like stack up because you have to give up a lot as far as salary to, to pull it off. So Lafayette, what do, what do you think about this Green Bay at uh, versus Seattle game? I mean, I, I think you have a ton of upside in both spots, right? I, I don't know where you're at on it, but I look at Metcalf and Lockett. They're still kind of priced for somebody like Geno Smith to be in there. I, it, I know the ownership isn't extraordinarily high on them, and it probably shouldn't be, but you have Rodgers coming back. Devontae Adams is the, the league's preeminent receiver, really, at this point, at least from a consistency standpoint. And I think even a guy like MVS, who is strictly targeted deep downfield in a game that could be high scoring, makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I mean, where's the where do we have the ownership coming in on this on these stacks, Alex? Is it that is it high? It's low, man. Like okay. Green Bay, we have Aaron Rodgers at three percent, and Seattle, uh, Russ Wilson's at two percent. So, I'm a little bit perplexed why more ownership's not going into this game. To be honest, I mean, it seems pretty appealing. We're both offenses have a lot of upsides so this could be one that based on our tools right now looks like maybe that third or fourth uh game that no one's looking at that that could be the key to to success this week alex do you have any concern about aaron Rodgers's the o-line not feeling inclined to protect him after the lack of leadership he showed when he oh, lied it. to everyone and said Dude, they're all he was vaccinated. Si- they're all on and his And he side. was not. It shows a tremendous lack of leadership, and I wouldn't be surprised if he had lost the locker room after a move like that. No chance. They're with uh, it. I'm telling you, I bet, I bet half that I bet that team's like, listen, we're with you, pal. Alan Lazard wasn't vaxxed. I don't know. Do you realize you think they're just not going to block for him? <laughs> It is a, I think it's an insult to the, I think that it's an insult and failure in leadership, to be honest. And I think the players on Green Bay deserve better. And I think some, I think that the average player, I mean, not, I mean, they're the ones who get the media attention, you know, the people who, who are bad behaviors and get clicks, but 80% of people are vaccinated and in professional sports, it's a lot more than that. So uh, I think a lot of players are thinking like, Hey, I did the bare minimum. Why didn't you? Well, I think uh, there's a history in professional sports of these rock star athletes that the team doesn't like them, but they're so good at producing that they just deal with them. Like, I I don't know, like, who the most unlikable players are to be on a team with, but I feel like Aaron Rodgers is someone that is not the most popular. I know, like, he's had some real issues with his family and stuff, so... I, I, I guess I disagree with the, the supposition that people liked him in the first place. But <laughs> At quarterback, it's important, I think, uh, more so than in any other sport where Dennis Rodman could like be getting blasted in Las Vegas and Michael Jordan gets on a plane to go find him or whatever, and then you just send him out there and he gets 20 rebounds and that's what he's supposed to do in the game. Like There are guys like that in the NFL, but if you're the one calling the plays where you need the chemistry with all the other players on the team, I think it's a lot more important. But if he was testing every, and I'm not here to genuflect to to Aaron Rodgers, but like if he was testing every day and coming in and and wearing a mask and separating himself and following protocols, did he really do him that dirty? I don't know. I think it's a little overblown. It seems like uh, it seems like not a lot to do when you're a professional athlete and you devote yourself to performing, uh, to getting to getting vaccinated. It seems like it seems insane that a person playing or who who, who wants to be at an elite performer would think differently. Well, he was immunized, James. 
Trust man. I don't, think, I don't think you can play that narrative though. Like that they're just going to Shane Falco him or no, no. What was, <laughs> what, 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 what was it from uh, the, what, what was the Adam Sandler remake where they're in jail? Kyle, you got to know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I just talked about playing Jared Goff. So, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is actually going to be that low ownership, that seems like a really good play. Um, but I think in terms of like average case that, I, I wouldn't be thinking that Green Bay is in a position to perpo- perform well after all of this. Like, it's hard to imagine that that the locker room is the morale is high. I mean, there's been a lot of drama this year in the NFL. The, the Raiders were another team where, like, first their head coach got like can- canceled, and then like Henry Ruggs had that, <laughs> that you know tragic incident. So. Like, it's nothing new that, like, there's real-life situations that, that play into football. I feel like that doesn't it's really change my approach to slates, though. Like, do you, do you actually, like, try to take these real-life events and f- make some adjustment to how you build lineups? I, I think it's a miracle that Gruden made it as far as he did, given this contract that he was signed up with when he's probably worse than the average coach in the league. So I would have expected that he would be canceled a lot sooner than he was, to be honest with you. Um, but that being said, uh, no, I don't really factor in narratives in my process. Okay. So you're just joking about this Aaron Rodgers uh, not being a good play because he lost the locker room kind of idea. Well, what's a good play and what's good for the team or good for them making the playoffs or Super Bowl is a pretty different thing, you know. Uh, that, so I, I was talking a little more about the average case performance now and number of wins for Green Bay, I think, is quite a bit worse than it was. 10%, 15% worse. I don't really know what the answer is. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think those, those real-world things, like, have consequences. But on any given day in, in NFL, it's not so clear, you know. If you haven't checked out prizepicks.com yet or downloaded it in the app or gone to the the uh, Google Play Store, you should do that and use the promo code AWESEMO, A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Get up to $100 match deposit bonus. When you do so, if you haven't tried it, you will enjoy it, and you're not going to get busted up playing these five-leg parlays and losing on the late one and losing everything. You still profit 2x if you hit four or five. You can t- 10x your money on a five-leg uh, prop lineup over there. You could do four. You could do the power play. There's so many different ways to do it. A million different sports, some that you've probably never heard of. Use the promo code Osmo. Check that out. James, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter at chess is okay. And they can go over to uh, medify.gg for your services, correct? That's correct. Thank you. All right. Alex Baker at Awesome ODFS. Myself, Alafi underscore D. Shout out to Tyler Zander for producing the show as well. We'll catch you back here for the next one.